All right, as a 47-year-old, when I watched that video, I was tired when it was over, man. I'm telling you, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. So if you're 18 to 25, that's a good sign, all right? That's a good sign that I'm tired. I, I do want to uh, agree with Tessa going back through my history of knowing Jesus. Um, very significant things happened when I got away and um, in a variety of settings like that where I'll be with other people my age and it just, I, I, stuff connected off often and I worshiped in ways that I really didn't think I could get free enough to do. So encourage you to think about that. Holler at Tessa if you want to uh, get plugged into that. If you didn't figure it out, we're eating today, which is why all the tables are back there, which is why it was crowded when you came in. For those of y'all sitting on the tables, we can hear you, just so you understand. So that's not like another room, just so you understand. Uh, we, uh, we're going to continue to have to wrestle with this because we continue to have a lot of people here, which is awesome. And uh, we'll, just, we'll, we'll figure out how to, how to make our space work as we go. We're praying for some answers on that right now. I got one major announcement. And then I got to make another one because I'm married to the lady who asked me to make it. All right, that, that's a, <laughs> my number one announcement is next Sunday night, if this is your church, I really would like for you to plan on being right here at 6 o'clock. It will be, we call it a foundations meeting. Uh, we got some pretty cool stuff coming, but we really need to talk it through. And if you could plan, I know Sunday afternoons, evenings can be crazy, but if you could plan on being here next Sunday night at 6, it'll be the most, I can assure you, it'll be the most significant one of these we've ever done as far as information put out. And we'll talk about it. I want to get some feedback. So uh, plan, on, plan on that if you could, being here next Sunday night at 6. We call it foundations. It doesn't really matter what we call it. Just come. We will have child care. So uh, please, please come join us next Sunday night. Uh, the announcement that Cheryl wants me to make, which is awesome, is because we only get to make this one at Red Bank because we, 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 we different over here and we like it. All right. So Cheryl has set up this concealed weapons class for ladies only. All right. So, oh, fellas, we feel safe here. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I always know Lisa's ready. Where is Lisa? Lisa's ready. Already ready. At least ready. I'm, I'm, but if you would like to participate, it's going to be on November the 7th. And so it's coming up quickly. It's all figured out. It starts in my basement. So I will not be at home that day. I'm going somewhere. <laughs> Anybody got some special Saturday? There's got to be football, and I need to be safe. Um, but it'll start at 8.30 at my house. I think 8.30. I'm reading. All right. Starting at, 8, at 8.30 or 9 a.m., you know, it'll, it'll uh, go most of the day. So see Cheryl out in. She's in the orange right here. Good day to wear orange, isn't it? Anyway, uh, is it, ma'am, she got to have names to get it going, okay? All right, so see Cheryl. I think I covered it. All right. We, uh, we've been having a good time going through the Old Testament. And for some of y'all, this, this is a brand new idea, uh, going through the Old Testament, and, and you really haven't uh, known how it worked, which is... It's great that you're here because it, it's, it's uh, that part of the Bible oftentimes gets lost. I mean, even if you know Jesus, don't really know how it works. And, and so we've been going through it. Uh, we, we started a series. We call it the story because this is a narrative. It's a story where God pursues mankind from, from cover to cover. Last week, Derek went into the poetry section. And the cool part about poetry, there's this whole section of poetry, and it kind of slides into the narrative in different places. When you get to the prophets, which, which come after the poetry, the poetry slide into the story. And the story is actually on a timeline, okay? It actually, we, we, we would say that everything started with creation, and we work our way all the way forward to the present day. So that, that's kind of how the Bible works. I've, I've done some hand motions, and I, I'll review them with you in just a minute. Last week, I missed being with y'all, but uh, we, we went to my dad's 60th, not his wedding anniversary, but their church's 60th anniversary. And uh, he asked me to speak. I don't know how your dad works. We have a really good relationship, but he doesn't ask for anything. And he asked me three times, like in three consecutive days, if I could come. I'm like, okay, I think this is one of them ones. You better say yes on <laughs> so. So I did, and you know what was cool about it was I, I started thinking through. My grandfather was one of four guys who started that church in Anderson. L little church. We, we would look like a mega church to them, just, just our group right here. But uh, he started it 60 years ago um, with a picture in his mind of what he thought healthy was. And I get to stand on my father's shoulders who stands on his father's shoulders, and that's an honor. 
Huh? There's some awkwardness going back there. Believe me, I break like a lot of rules from that church because it, it's kind of throwback. So I, I, I wore the khakis. I mean, that's as far as I can go. But I, I mean, I even tucked my shirt in. No, I didn't tuck my shirt in. Uh, yeah, my mama was there. I found that out later. But, uh, <laughs> but there's this C.C. Reeves, my granddaddy, met Jesus yeah, later in life. He, he planted that seed in his son, Larry, and Larry planted it in me, and, and it was an honor to get to be there and honor them. Yeah, my grandfather's passed. My dad was there. Though it was awkward, it was an honor. And that, that's somewhat of what's happening in, in Genesis, where we're reading. And, and I want you to be able to track your ancestry.com all the way back, right? So at the very beginning... We talked about a guy in creation, right? Uh, is my hand motion. This is creation. Adam and Eve. Everybody in the room in here can say, my great, great to the nth granddaddy was Adam. And my great, great to the nth grandmama was Eve. And then we had a fall. And so instead of cussing God, you ought to cuss Adam and Eve whenever you cuss, right? You just put the word, better not to cuss probably, but anyway, if you were... <laughs> Just throw Adam and Eve on there, right? So you got the fall. So you got God created this thing, and he created at the end Adam and Eve, and then, and then they sinned. And it, it's, it's a tragic story at that point. And then, and then there was a flood. Get the water coming up there? Isn't that nice? All right. There was a flood. And the reason I'm doing this is because I want you to be able to understand how this whole thing works together. There's a flood, and there's a guy named Noah, and it actually doesn't, doesn't name his wife, but Noah built an ark. And guess what? Because Noah and his wife were, were there and their three sons, we can all track our heritage back to who? Noah. All right, so the, if we wanted to go great, great granddaddy to the nth again, we could go Noah and we could explain where things have come from to the end. And then, and then we went uh, a couple weeks ago to nations. And you can understand why you speak your dialect of English because at one point everybody spoke the same language. And then God, it's a long story, but he divided the languages. And, and we pointed out because people went to the ends of the earth and they took the languages. And, and so, so let me just explain to you, you. You can be happy that you speak English. You can be happy that you're white, black, or Hispanic, or Asian. You can be happy, I mean, that how God made you. But you certainly can't be arrogant about it. Because according to the scriptures, that would be ignorant. That would mean that you have no idea how the world started. Because we all share great-great-granddaddies to the nth, which means we all came from the same place. So it would be stupid to be arrogant about how you are. And you can be happy with it. I don't want you to be sad that you're pale as a ghost like me. I mean, be, be happy about it because if you focus on it too long, you sit in the, you know, in the camera with your wife, you're like, dang, that mug is pale. Instead, I'm like, I'm pale. What's good? Anyway, the, you, but it would be foolish to be proud of it because it's, you'd be proud of something God made you. So who, who are you supposed to be proud of? God. There's only one person to really take pride in, and that's God himself. So, so we've got nations, which moves us right through Genesis to, to a, a very central figure. I mean, and if you, if, I don't know how well you know the Bible, but I'm going to say this name, and this guy is as important other than Jesus as anybody in the Bible, okay? Perhaps second to Jesus, perhaps. He's probably in the top five. Tigers are trying to get in the top four. He's probably in the top five, all right? And this guy's name is, is Abraham. He, uh, I, I don't know if you grew up singing these songs, but we used to sing something about Father Abraham. And you're always like, who in the heck is this Abraham, dude? Yeah, I always talk about him. But it, there's this significance to calling him Father because so many people point their line back to this man named Abraham, all right? And, and the scriptures begins. And what I, what I want you to understand as we go creation, fall, flood, nations, we're going, Abraham's number one, baby. He's number one on the tree. Not many people can say that. At the end of, the, at the end of every season, white and old volleyball girls, we got a bunch of them here. They would love, they're going to playoffs, they're going away Tuesday night, so they would love. You want to not eat on Tuesday and pray that they win, they'll, they'll be down with it. I don't know how the Lord views that, but we'd love for them to finish number one, right? That's, that's, that's the goal. Well, Abraham is number one, not because he chose to be number one, but because God chose him to be the beginning of a nation. 
what I hope you get, those of you that know Jesus and maybe don't know how the Old Testament works, those of y'all that maybe haven't met Jesus yet, uh, some of you that have been knowing him a long time, I hope you just worship through this from the time Adam fell. God began a plan to redeem mankind, and we are reading about it. You know, when you start crying in the chick flick because this dude's got this great plan of how he's going to propose, he's going to do it, you start getting all worked up, ladies and fellas, you're along for the ride anyway, you're doing your thing. This this is what's happening right here. This This is a God in high pursuit of the people he loves, working a plan. All that we read is pointing forward to a day when you could be redeemed and we could have a restored relationship with God Almighty. Um, And so today, Abraham takes 11 chapters of the Old Testament, and I'm going to talk about like a minute per chapter, which stinks. But uh, And then the New Testament is full of references to this guy named Abraham. The Old Testament is full of references because everybody thinks he's number one because he was chosen as number one. So I want you to uh, just wrestle through the story with me just for a few minutes, and hopefully it'll make sense. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, I just want to read you a couple verses because this is the beginning. Uh, Abraham's great-grandfather, I mean, his grandfather was named Ur. I just kept going. I, my grandfather's Ur, you know. <laughs> Come on, what's his name? Um, uh, and uh, he had a son named Terah. This is how my mind works. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and it's really interesting in chapter 11, as the nations were divided and, and these, these different families moved to different parts of the world, um, this guy, Terah, began to move his family away from his father, Ur, and they, and they, uh, and they traveled for a while, and they stopped. And, and as you read it, read it sometimes. Some of you that have been following Jesus maybe read this a, for a long time. Read the end of chapter 11, and uh, it'll surprise you. I'm really curious about this guy, Terah, and I'm, I'm wondering why he started moving, because I really believe that Abraham's standing on his shoulders. Like, he took the first step, whether he took a full step, I don't know. We'll ask someday later. But I really believe, as I read that, Abraham stands on his father's, on his physical father's shoulders, who began to move. But Abraham was all in. Verse, verse 1, chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, his name's Abram at the moment. It'll be changed later. Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. You feeling it? You feeling what I'm reading? So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. I I mean, I wish we could quit right there. God told him something, and what happens in verse 4? He did it. I wish I would be that man. Times I am. God told him something, and then he did it. But did you catch the promise? Leave your native country, your relatives, your family, and go to the land that I will show you. So he's leaving everything that's secure, and he's going to the insecure, and God's not even telling him exactly where to go yet. You know what I'm saying? So he's on a journey, and he's going to trust God on the journey, and he's going to take his wife, his nephew, probably a whole entourage and a bunch of camels and sheep and stuff, and they're just going to go, which is so foreign to our culture. It is uh, hard to even comprehend what this guy is doing. He's risking everything. The Lord had instructed him, and Lot went with him, his, his, uh, his nephew. And Abram, 75 years old when he left Haran, he took his wife, Sarai, at the time, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all that. And when they arrived in Canaan, Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem, and he set up a camp beside the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the area was inhabited with Canaanites. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'll give you the land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. And after that, Abram traveled south, and the story goes on, and it goes on. So, so in case you haven't watched CNN lately, 
or Fox News, whatever your flavor is, or, or there's about 20 of them now, you wonder why that little strip of land in the Middle East causes so much heck, right? There has been so much blood spilled over that tiny little piece of land that really doesn't have a lot of value. There's no oil on it, right? All the oil's around it, but everybody wants this tiny little strip of land. Well, as a follower of Jesus and you tracking your history back, now you know. Because God said, that's yours, Abraham. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to take it away from them, and I'm going to give it to you. And it's been on ever since. Why? Why is it on for that little strip of land? Why don't they fight over something else? I'll tell you why. <laughs> because the world stays in rebellion to God. And so anything that God says, we want to go the other way on. And so this people, which we'll find out as we read, Abraham's line are going to be fought for all, of cent all the centuries, right? Some of y'all probably were alive when Israel went back and they became a nation again. 1948? Some of y'all think I was alive. I wasn't, just so you know. But uh, uh, it is this. I mean, you talk about polarizing nation. We'll have a president every once in a while, and we'll say he's polarizing. You either love him or you hate him. There'll be an actress on TV. You either love her or you hate her. And we won't go through the list. But you, you, Israel is the most polarizing group of people ever. And here's why. God told Abraham, I want you to go, and he went. And he gave them this land, and, and, and the rest of the chapters unfold this story of them getting the land. Anybody catch how old he was? 75. All right, so he's getting up there. But you remember, the, the, the calendar's a little different. 75 ain't like 75 today. I mean, you know, Coach Spurrier had to step. I mean, 75 starting to get up there just a little bit. But 75 then, he's going to die at 175. So you want to make him 40 in, in your minds, however you want to do it. So that, that was the timetable. But you're talking about a guy who's lived in one place for a long time, and God says move, and he does what? He moves. The story's going to go on in uh, verse chapter 15. For my scholars in the room, you, you guys love chapter 15, and for those of y'all that are not, you, can, you, you just memorize this word, and you'll sound smart. The Abrahamic covenant coat goes down, all right? So guess what we just did there? We took the word Abraham and we put an ick on the end of it. That, that's what the smart people do. They just add another noise on the end. They're like, that's a big word. I love it. All right, so this is the Abrahamic covenant, and God promises Abraham that he's going to be the father of a people. And they're going to be as many as, anybody answer for me, as many as the what? Stars in the sky. So back in the day, there was no Walmart lighting up the town so you couldn't see the stars. I mean, there's a lot of stars up there when it's dark. Abraham looks at the stars, and God promises them that he's going to have that many kids eventually. We call that multi-level marketing, right? It's going to multiply over the course of time. Chapter 16, sad chapter. Abraham and Sarah can't wait. They both falter in their faith, and so... Uh, Sarah comes up with the idea that Abraham ought to sleep with her maidservant and they would have a child that way because she's not been able to have a child. And as you can imagine, this doesn't go well, right? We can see this on Maury Popovich or whatever his name is. We can see this thing go down. It says, now Sarah, verse 16, Abraham's wife had not been able to bear children for him, but she, she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord prevented me from having children. Again, it's interesting that she pulls the Lord into it. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. So, Sarah, so Abraham's culpable just like she is. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, gave her to Abraham. And the story goes on, rated X. I mean, not really, but you know what happens. And so Abraham had sexual relationship with Hagar, and she became pregnant. Seems to happen. But Hagar knew, when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Anybody else have that figured out before this happened? 
I kind of knew that was going to happen. I don't know if it's because I'm 47 now, but I, I knew that was going to happen. And then Sarah t- to Abraham, this is all your fault. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen for sure. <laughs> I mean, just in a general sense, baby, just in a general sense. And Sarah said, Abraham, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant and she treats me with contempt and the Lord will show you who's, who's wrong, you or me. And Abraham replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with it. And I mean, <laughs> I've said that. Abraham, bro, that never works. Deal with her as you see fit. And Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away, and it's a sad sob story. And I, if you know the history and you were to go Ancestry.com on it, uh, there are many peoples that live in the Middle East that would call Abraham their father. And many of them would call this child, Ishmael, their father as well. So it's one of those things. It's, it's, it's interesting how when we get in a hurry and we try to control our own destiny, uh, we can create a mess that just keeps on giving, can't we? So when you watch CNN tonight and you see some fighting, there was a bunch of killing right there in Palestine recently. You can go, that's because Abraham and Sarah created a mess that just keeps on giving. Because eventually Ishmael's going to be about 13 and, and there's going to be another child. And they're going to be against one another. So question to ask you. You creating any messes that going to keep on giving? You ever bought the car because the salesperson was putting a little pressure on you and it was out of your budget, but it really just felt like it would make your life better and you start working through the numbers. I've done this at least once where I worked through the numbers poorly because my emotions were drawing me. I was, I was immature, really. My emotions were drawing me to this, this car. And the next thing you know... About six months in, when that thing comes into my mailbox again, then I have this pressure and this mess sits in my driveway that I just have to keep on fixing. Because I started, my emotions got away from me. There's probably a girl in here right now that needs to get rid of a dude, right? Because he's not good for you. Everybody in your circle knows it. And Before you lock it up for life, you ought, you ought to get rid of it because that mess is going to keep on giving. And you won't be able to get away from it. I can get ten ladies in here to stand up and give testimony, but please don't. All right, but it just. <laughs> There's always a, a reason to not do it and submit to God. And there's always a way that we can fix it or try it out or manipulate it. And you're probably doing it right now in some way or most of us struggle with that because we like to control our stuff so uh ask yourself the question Here, here's what's cool about race white no if you're new uh we recognize that this life's a struggle we, we try not to come in here and act like we have it all together but what we are attempting to do is to try to put ourselves under this and even in community, allow other people to speak into us, not condemn us, but to speak into us to, to help us please the God of the universe. That's, that's what we want to be, but we don't do that perfectly. So discussions, these small groups that we do, the stuff that goes down is so that we can go forward and follow Jesus and put some of this stuff behind us. So, so, so do the work. And this ain't about like a lucky charm, right? We, we don't follow Jesus because we hope that somehow he'll, he'll help us hit a home run this afternoon, right? Or, or, or our, our life will go better. We really believe that he has called us to follow him with our whole heart. And so then we start oriented ourselves around him as opposed to around ourselves. And when we submit to that, then we have to follow him. This dude screws up, but he follows Jesus. And Jesus ain't come yet. And in reality, he's going to be the great granddad of Jesus. So this is a good thing. But he follows God's instruction even though he's broken. So he gets back up. And before you know it, uh, Abraham and Sarah have a miracle child. 
I know a couple of y'all that got a little later in life. You're like, yeah, I got a miracle child too. And I still can't sleep because of that rascal. But uh, they have a miracle child. His name's Isaac. Isaac's going to be number two all time, right? So we're going to go Abraham, Isaac, eventually. He has this son named Isaac, and uh, it, it gets complicated between Ishmael and Isaac. And Hagar is sent off, and we, we, can't, we don't have time to talk about all that. You can read it on your own. Uh, here's, here's what I'd like you to ask with me. When I was uh, in college, I was at Clemson. There was this uh, young cornerback that had just graduated. His last name was Arrington. I don't remember, but he, he spoke from the New Testament passage about this guy named Abraham. It's Hebrews chapter 11, which makes sense, right? This is the Hebrew people, and they track their heritage back to to uh, Abraham and Hebrews, we don't really know who wrote it. A lot of people think Paul did, but it's not identified. So it's, it's an anonymous book. And he writes to the Hebrews, and he circles back to the Old Testament all the time. So this is a, a thousand, at least a thousand years later, and he's always circling back. So he'll go back to Abraham. And, and in chapter 11, he, he centralizes w- what he thinks following Jesus is all about. And he uses this word Faith, and he starts to tell a variety of stories from the saints of old. And, and this guy at, at Clemson, while I was listening to him speak, young black man, he was kind of charismatic, and uh, he had a lot of energy. He was all over the place, and he read Hebrews chapter 11, and he read this part about Abraham, and it grabbed my heart. I can, re- I can remember it clearly. It was a Thursday night. It was in a little dorm. There's like 50 of us there. And then the next Sunday, I went to that church, the one I spoke at last week, my dad's church. And a white guy, an old white guy who was pretty boring, uh, stood on stage and he read the same passage. And you probably would have, you know, it just depends, but it grabbed my heart. Two different guys. One of them gave a lot more information and one of them gave a lot more energy, but it grabbed my heart. You know Why? Because God was after me. And, and, and you know, let me get this really clear. There's only one church. These two guys went to two different churches in the mornings. But there's only one church, and it's full of the believers in Jesus Christ. The true believers now. We're not talking about playing religion. We're talking about true believers. And these two different guys had no idea, because I never told them, that what they said that day changed everything for me. Let me tell you what was true about me. My heart was soft. It wasn't always soft. I'm sure I've heard a thousand things before that that I didn't respond to, but that Sunday, my heart was soft. And when I heard it, it, came, it got down in there, and it challenged me, and I had to move. Here's what it says, Hebrews chapter 11. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. And he went without knowing where he was going. Remember that? We just read that in Genesis. Now he's repeating it all the way in Hebrews. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. I love that. He started by faith. He continued to live by faith. That's how this life is designed. It's not just about the day you believe. It's it's a ride. Uh, He promised him uh, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, and who inherited the same promise. And Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. You talk about dropping a line. Boy, I wish I had made that line. That is a killer line. Here's a man who made his decisions based on something bigger than what he could see. He was anticipating what he could see by faith. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. So, so you know, some of y'all got a bad story. Sarah told her husband to sleep with her maidservant, an Egyptian, and it had this kid named Ishmael. But what does the New Testament say about Sarah? In spite of her failure, she was a woman of faith. Why does it say that? Because she was a woman of faith. It's not complicated. She screwed up, but the New Testament still records, despite her failure, the truth of her soft heart. What's up with your heart? 
I'm not talking about morality. I'm not asking you what you did with the rest of your life. I'm not asking you how many times you screwed up or how you screwed up this week. I'm talking about your heart. Here's what it says. She was barren. She was old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And she, so she built her life on a promise, not on a retirement plan, not on security. Ladies, this is heavy hitting, boy. Not on safety. She built her life on a promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. Y'all call me as good as dead. We're going to go out and race, all right? I mean, you call a man as good as dead. You say he ain't got nothing left. And he's speaking to Abraham. This whole nation came from a man who's as good as dead. A nation with so many people like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. There's no way to count them. The verses go on. And, I mean, you want to read something that will inspire you, read Hebrews 11. But one of the guys they talk about, Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. And why does he say he's great? Because he had faith. We'll read through. If you read through the whole story, he screws up multiple times. A couple times I'm like, what were you thinking? I know better than that. But in the end, when God told him to go, he went. Let me read to you just a couple words from there. I read through that again. I just want to pull a couple words. Verse 7. Just because sometimes I think we talk about and we get inspired and we don't know really how. Let me just give you a little how from Abraham. Verse 7, it says, it was by faith. What is by faith? We throw that word around as Christians all the time. We say we, we, we're in the faith and we, we throw it around in a variety. What does that mean? Well, the beginning of the chapter actually defines it. Faith is the confidence that we hope for, what, what, that what we hope for will actually happen. NLT. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. Doesn't mean you can have zero doubt. Not really. But it does mean that you're confident. You're confident that it's going to go this way. And so when I gave my life to Jesus as a boy, I was confident, my faith, I was confident that the only way to have a relationship with God was through the cross of Christ. And so I had faith. Today, we'll see three different folks, maybe more, demonstrate that faith by being baptized. It's going to be a blast. If you've never been here for us, that's a party. That's why we're eating, because that's really the only way we know how to party. So we, we, we baptize because we're celebrating faith, and a couple of guys I know are going to tell you why they believe. But then, as we see in Abraham's life, you believe, and Jesus does all the work and saves you, but then that's how you live. It's just, it's a ride. You, you live by faith. As we look at our lives, the highlights are the moments where we executed faith. Um, it says by faith, which is not easy to understand, but let, let, me, let me further explain faith. Faith means your feet move. So when you believe, then you obey. So uh, I grew up in a house. My mama can bring the heat. All right, just so you know, Miss Cheryl over here can as well. My mom is, well, anyway, it's like different. She got a lower voice, and, and I don't, you might be faster. I don't know. But anyway, there was this, this, this uh, everybody in my, my now, we behave because, because it was going to cost you, right? I mean, there was an authority about the woman. She used to take an apple. She can break an apple with her hands like, like that. And you're like, okay, I don't want her to get me, right? And, and she, was, she was soft, too, though. She would listen to us. So she, was, she was a great mother. But here's what was cool. Her authority, like, extended to the whole neighborhood. And I, I grew up in a pretty wealthy neighborhood, and so you had some pretty entitled rich kids in there. But they come in the Reeves yard. We go old school. All right, so I know your mama going to give you something. My mama's not. All right, so my mama yelled at other people's kids in my yard, and they'd be like, yes, ma'am, Miss Reeves. <laughs> Me, because she had authority, and you would, because of the strength of her authority, you would come up under it. So when you say that you believe in the God of the universe, right, and you say that he's the king and that he sacrificed his son to save your soul, then you recognize him as the authority. 
And just like the kids in my neighborhood, you understand that when you're in his presence, you come up under. When you don't come up under, what does that say? I don't believe. I don't believe it. I mean, I say that I believe it. If somebody invades, I pull out my shotgun and shoot because I believe it. But at the end of the day, will you obey because you believe it? That's why we're telling the whole story. Not perfect obedience. Don't get stressed out. This ain't like a guilt trip. We're not talking about perfect obedience, but it's a lifestyle of obedience. So if God says, then, then that's what we do. You're like, man, I, I, I haven't uh, heard from God. I got a gift for you on the way out the door. It looks like this. And you can have one. And start reading it. Because when you believe, you want to know what he says because you're under his authority. You want to you hear it. And like... You know, and you learn as you go. That's what we're doing in here. Bunch of you know us. Like if you knew, you're like, yeah, I know about ten of y'all. We're learning as we go. I thought one of the most shocking parts about the Abraham story is that God spoke to Abraham. So one of the difficult parts about obedience is, uh, is you got to hear. My mama had a, she had a powerful voice. She would, uh, she, she would, she. It's hilarious to call her because she's really sweet on the phone. Oh, hey, John. She does like this. She does the breathy, like, hey, baby, how you doing? And she talks to everybody. You know how to. And then, then when it's time to get up in the morning, John. I mean, it's like this. <laughs> shook my bed. Get up. You know, it's like, where's all that? How about that breathy voice? I mean, <laughs> evidently, that didn't wake me up. But there was an authority about her, but you had to hear it to know what she wanted. I was telling the, the, her church last week. Because um, I like to kid her because she, she's kind of like that, that way. She'll be shaking her head on the front. She'll be crying just because I'm talking. It's her son. I don't understand you ladies. She's just crying. I ain't even said nothing yet. And then she'll start shaking her head, like looking mad, which is fun because she can't get me. I'm on stage. But uh, <laughs> what was beautiful about my mother was she, she led a house with parameters that gave me incredible amount of freedom. She was willing to discipline and love. She was willing to do all that work so that we could have fun with her on some of her crazy, but she was willing to put herself out there and put herself last in reality because her job wasn't to keep me happy. It was to bless me as a man. So a lot of times I talk about standing on my dad's shoulders because I do, but I stand on my mama's shoulders because she's willing to do the hard work to raise four kids. And, and when you read the idea of what it means to follow Jesus, this idea of faith and then obedience, you have to be able to hear the authority in order to obey the authority. And if you can hear the authority and then obey the authority, let me tell you something. There's a freedom that comes from that like no other. Well, that's why I hate it when Christians look so, you know, their face like you just like, they, 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 I can do it. I mean, I can get them down. I don't know. <laughs> That old age, they just look upset all the time because there's this freedom when you know who Jesus is and what he expects. You know how you're living. It's good. It's not perfect. We fail and we hurt and we have pain. But there's this freedom in obeying and following God. And the last thing, you, you have to hear, and there's a variety of ways to hear, but the beginning is this. Second, I'd find somebody who's a solid believer and ask for counsel, right? You got to pick the right people to hang around. You pick the wrong people, they're going to give you bad counsel. It's just the way it works. It's simple. Sometimes God speaks directly to people. But when somebody is always saying, God told me, I'm like, well, I don't know. You can't. You, you say that too much. It sounds like a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Because <laughs> that don't sound like God. Um, but you got to be able to hear. La last, if you really want to have the best of this life with God, like the followers of Jesus, of old, when you obey, he's eventually going to ask you to go. That's just how it works. For some of y'all that love your security, I hate this for you. <laughs> because eventually he wants to challenge what you call security. He wants to know, do you completely depend on him? And I know I've made eye contact with a couple people in this room that are there right now because they have leaned over on him in a season where there's a lot of insecurity. But the, the interesting time is uh, oftentimes when he tells me to go and it's difficult, I get a lot closer to him. And then I start being reminded 
that the best part of this life is my relationship with him. So let, let me just tell you something. Cheryl and I have had to go. We've moved and we've had to do a variety of things like that. But going doesn't mean moving houses, moving schools, staying in one house your whole life. But if you don't know your neighbors, then you haven't been obedient to God, right? Because what does he say? Love your neighbors as yourself. So does it make any sense to be a follower of Jesus and to argue about when he's coming back, eschatology, right? Or argue about how the church works, ecclesiology, but not know our neighbor's names. It makes no sense. It sounds like we want to worship our minds instead of put ourselves under his word and obey the king. And what, what we found, because we didn't do that at the beginning, we grew up arguing about eschatology. That's how I even know what that word means, right? We, we, we would argue about all this stuff, but then we started in our early married days, and we got to know and love our neighbors. Whether they ever come to our church or not is insignificant. It's about loving them. And then what was shocking is when we obeyed and went, we went to our neighbors. They didn't come to us. We went to their house. Guess what happened? Joy. Joy, you want to change that culture in your house? Here's what you got to do. You got to start talking about it. And then what often happens is when you start talking about it, then it becomes a part of the culture. Guys in the room, you want to build a culture at your home that's different? It's what you talk about. So what was interesting is Cheryl, like I have, I've told you this, at 19 minutes on the cell phone, I'm like, I, I get so itchy, I can't control myself because that's like over my talking limit. So if I ever hang up on you, look at your phone, it's like 19 minutes. That's where we're at, but... You're lucky if you get that far. All right, I have to let Cheryl go that far. But anyway, in 19 minutes, I started getting itchy. But, but when I was a young married guy and we were starting to try to know our neighbors, she would be telling me the stories of our neighbors' lives. I had to go over 19. I would go up into the 20s and feel like, because you know why? Because if we want to change our culture, we got to be able to talk about it. we got to be able to listen. And truly, my heart was excited about my family knowing our neighbors. That's culture building. What do you talk about? What do you allow your wife to talk about, right? What do you allow your husband to talk about? What do you allow your kids to talk about? Let me help you evaluate it real simply, and then I got one final story. If you're wondering, like, you want to do assessment, you want to go online, you know all these dumb Facebook stuff that go, hey, what actress were you in 1973, you know? I mean, I'm like, I mean, the first one of those was cool. That's, anyway, uh, if you want to assess where you are in the faith, I'm going to make it somewhat simple. Look at your words. All right, so we have a week, seven-day seven day period, last seven days. How, where, what did you talk about? That's who you are, what you talked about. So you, one of the really cool things, we can change that, right? So just, just look and see how much did, did, did this relationship with Jesus affect what you talked about. So it's not just the words that come out of your mouth, but it's also the way you listen to other people's words. It's both. And how did those words, how did that work out in the last seven? So it's just a little assessment, and it'll give you a little score if you want to score. And some of y'all are scorekeepers. I'm not trying to put it, but it just helps you understand who you are. You want to do something else, then, then you ask about your time. Where did time go this week? How much of the time did you use? For you, and how much did you use it for others? And how much did you, you just spend with him? All right, so look, we're not guilt tripping. That's not what we do here. We're trying to help you. So you assess, and, and if you want to get really personal, people don't even have checkbooks anymore, but you can go get on bbnt.com or whatever tonight and, and, and put your password in, and you can look at everything you've spent in the last year, and it'll tell you where your heart is. Right? If 99% of it was on you, we got, we got a problem. It doesn't look like somebody that knows God. You know why? Because God is generous. So the people of God are generous with their time, with their words, and with their resources. And there, there ought to be proof. Because I think sometimes we get this feeling when we're together because this is good. We worship together. We have fun together. We're going to eat together. We're going to enjoy one another. Sometimes we get this feeling that this makes us a people of faith. 
the man Abraham is in this passage because he heard and he obeyed and he went. And there was proof in the pudding, as they say. I know when I evaluate mine, it's always good because sometimes I realize that I've lost some stuff that I once had. And so I can circle back and ask the Lord to help me fix it. For some of you, you're brand new at following Jesus. And you're like, man, I, and, and, and time has not even been an issue for you because you're just enjoying reading the word, asking questions. I want that for us all. Last story. What I've been trying to do and I hope to do with the series, the story, is show you that all of history centers itself around a man named Jesus, right? So from creation, fall, flood, nations, Abraham, Isaac, we're setting the stage for a man named Jesus to come and save us. And so there's a story in Hebrews chapter 11, which is also in Genesis chapter 2, and it is, it is the toughest story in the Old Testament for me to read because, uh, because I have children. And I would imagine it was even tougher for Abraham because he only had one child, one promised child. Here's what it says. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. I'm going to be straight with you. When you read this, it actually kind of weirds you out about our God. Because the way Hebrews reads, it's like it actually happened. Correct? Is that how that sounds to you? It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. When you read Genesis chapter 22, it actually tells the story of God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. Know what Abraham does the very next day? He packs up the U-Haul, and they load up some firewood, and he takes Isaac and some servants, and they go to a place called Mount Moriah. He straps, by the third day, it was a long journey, he straps the wood on his son's back, who's 21, that's what I do too, but he straps the wood on, on their back, and I, I just want you to go there with Father Abraham while he's splitting the wood where he's anticipating and sharpening the blade where he's anticipating sacrificing his son. There's so much of this story that makes us then begin to go, what kind of God is this? Because for those of us that are parents, you know there, the love that for a child is just off the chain. And God's going to test that love. Let me, let me keep reading. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him Isaac was the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So they go up, according to Genesis, and they actually get to the spot where the sacrifice is supposed to go down. And they actually begin to set up the fire. And they actually, there's, there's these pictures when I was growing up of Abraham on these, I mean, I mean of Isaac laid out on these sticks. And Abraham with, with, with a, a dagger back. And, and as the story goes in, in, in the Bible, he gets all the way to here. You, you at least have that picture in your mind. And then God speaks and says, Ho! And, he, and there's this ram, he's stuck. This ram's got his horn stuck right over there in, in plain view. And God says, stop, I want you to sacrifice that ram. What is up with that story? Why would, why would God do such a thing? And what kind of dude was Abraham to act out in that much ignorance Or was it faith? The Bible says it was faith. The Bible keeps saying that this guy is a stud. So, so let, let me just say to you, it, it, it rocks my paradigm to read that story in light of my own children. But what I have to then say is God comes before my family. This is not about focus on your family. You don't come to church to have a happy family. Happy families can come from following God. 
and submitting our lives to them. But in the end, this story just sings out to the loudest, the most important things in this world, submit to God. The things we love most, always under God. God didn't actually have them executed. Matter of fact, in some folks, there's a lot written. This was kind of a normal practice in the pagan world. They would sacrifice their children. And in a lot of ways, folks would say that God was teaching, that's not how we roll. That we're going to sacrifice an animal, and eventually, who will we sacrifice? Jesus. And so you have this foreshadowing. It's in Genesis chapter 22, at the very beginning, when number one comes on the scene, and he talks about sacrificing number two. And you're sitting here in here today. He was beginning to explain the story of what God the Father would do with his son. That he would sacrifice his son because he wanted you to have life. It's awesome. I, I just caught that again as I read through it this time. At the, at the end of the passage, he says, And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead because he had already determined to follow what God told him to do, and God gave him back. In reality, Jesus, we believe. Hey, you're a follower of Jesus. You believe this. If you're wondering, you're not a follower of Jesus. I believe that Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. There's a lot of people that believe that but don't follow him. A lot of people believe Jesus lived and died and was crucified. I believe he rose from the grave, that God the Father rose him from the grave. And I believe that that sacrifice makes it possible for me to call the Father my Father. And in that, I have ultimate freedom because he paid the whole price. We're going to worship together. And then we're going to go outside. We have uh, three, three guys that want to be baptized, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take them, and we're going to put them under the water, and I want you to remember this. If I hold them underwater too long, what happens? They die. I mean, most of them can kick my tail, so I don't think that's going to happen. But anyway, we're going to put them under the water, and, and that we're reminded that Jesus died on our behalf and that we died with him. And, and if we were in a good lake instead of our little pool out here, if we were in a good lake, when they went underwater, you wouldn't be able to see them. It's like being buried. You go under the water like we were co-buried with Christ. Romans 6 says this. And then there's this celebration moment. I usually get a hug at the end of this, right? Because they come up out of the water. You, you were dead, and then you disappeared, and you were buried, because that shows you were dead. And then you lift them up. If it's a big guy, sometimes I strain a little bit, but we eventually get them up. And we, we get them up, and, and then there's this celebration. There's hugs all around, because why? Because death don't have nothing on me anymore. Creation, fall, death dominates the history of the world. Abraham, Isaac, begin the road to a great-great-grandson named Jesus who would eliminate the death problem by giving us eternal life. Jesus, listen to us as we worship and uh, celebrate. I know you say that angels in heaven throw a party when someone gives their life to you. So as we, uh, we, we watch these, these fellas uh, go under the water, we look forward to celebrating with the angels in heaven. We love you. Amen.